You may ask, um, why should I care about another dream or vision of Daniel? I mean, what, what, really, what does it, what's it going to do for me? What, why should I care about this? Or what, what connects me to such an old uh, account of history? I mean, why, should I, why should we even read these portions of Scripture? What's the benefit of it? And, and there's good questions to that question. I'll answer it this way this morning. Um, Henry David Thoreau said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. Most people live lives of quiet desperation. He said that hundreds, uh, nearly over 100 years ago. But recently, Joe Rogan, who's a very popular podcaster and well-known speaker into our culture who has millions of followers, he has said, that's one of his favorite quotes, most people live lives of quiet desperation. He says he feels that, and he explained why. It says because people get married, they, the guys get married, they have a job, they have a wife to take care of, then they have kids to take care of, they have a, a job to deal, they have a mortgage to deal with, they have all these struggles that go on, and so people are just living these lives of quiet desperation, just waiting to get a break from their work, to go to the bathroom, to scroll on their phone, to have a moment of peace to themselves. This is the desperation that people live in, that there's this quiet desperation. But is that to be the life for us as Christians? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he said about himself. And then Jesus said, I came to give life and life more abundantly. But we can hear that phrase, many people live lives of quiet desperation, and that resonates, doesn't it, a little bit? It resonates with people. It even resonates with Christians. But the question is, should it resonate? How deeply is that resonating with us when we are said to have Jesus the way, the truth, the life, and the one who gives life and life more abundantly? That can resonate with us because we too, we miss and we forget, and we stop hearing the music of the gospel, and we will end up singing, and do sing at times, the same psalms that the people of exile did while the David, the Daniel was writing to, that they had been, been transported away from Jerusalem. And it looked for like years that God had kind of abandoned them, that all the truths of God weren't true. And they were living lives of quiet desperation and sometimes not so quiet. And they didn't, they, they'd lost their song. They lost the song of the Lord. And it says in Psalm 37, when they were asked by the Babylonian captivators, excuse me, Sing for us a song of Jerusalem. Psalm 137.4 says, they said this, how can we sing the song of the Lord while in a foreign land? And sometimes we ask that same question too. How? How long is this going to go on when you're fighting a battle alone? It feels like you're the only one in the family who's still striving for this. Or you're the one fighting along in it. How long? Or the, just these frustrations at work that come and they come and they come and they don't stop. And we ask, how can we sing the song of the Lord? How, how long, oh Lord, am I going to have to keep singing this? Or when there's, where you're trying to find your way through a difficult family situation. 
And it just seems like it's wave upon wave upon wave. We lose the music of the gospel, and we, we, we say, how can we sing the song of the Lord when difficulties are there, when the finances aren't quite what we thought they would be? How, how, how can we sing the song, we say? But also, when things are going well, we can say, how? Well, we have security. We, we are worshiping freely. We are going to go home this afternoon to our very safe, secure homes. None of us are going to be wondering if anybody's going to drive by and pull out a gun and shoot at us. We are, we are safe and we have security. Many of us have means. Most of us, we, we know where we're going to eat this week. We know what we're going to eat and we know how we're going to eat. We, we have means. We have hopes. We have plans and we even have expectations. I was talking to somebody this week who uh, a number of years ago was working with some guys who were doing some day work from the inner city and they, they came in and he was talking to them and they just said, hey, so what, do you guys ho- what are your hopes and what do you guys hope for? And their reaction was, hopes? We don't, we, don't, we don't have hopes. We're just hoping to make it to the next day. We aren't in that situation out here. We actually have security. We have means. We have hopes. We have plans. We have the privilege of even having expectations and letting our expectations get met or not met. Our struggle sometimes isn't not the, the struggle. It's, it's like, what do I do with all the ways that God's blessed me? How, how, do I, how do I sing the song of the Lord and not just the song of self because I have all of this blessing upon God? The, the situation in Daniel chapter 8 that Daniel's writing to was, was this. He knew the time of the exile was going to be over soon and he was been getting these visions. And the question is, for the people of God that he was writing to, and the question is for us, whether you are fighting a battle alone, struggling with a family situation, or feeling the struggles of finances, or your health, or you are just secure, happy with excess, and and trying to figure out, how do I bless God with this? How do I not live for myself with this? The question is, how do you persevere in the faith with those things How do you persevere when the pressures of life don't lift? How do you persevere when the pain doesn't go away quickly? And how do you persevere when the problems just continue to multiply? Daniel chapter 7 was from last week. It was a sweep of a vision that God gave Daniel for the grand sweep of history, the big picture. He gave him this miraculous vision for the grand sweep of history. And then Daniel chapter 8, he settles us in and he settles the people of God in for just for the long haul of history. Daniel is, again, having this vision. That's the setting. He, he sees this. Anytime you see, he mentions it a couple times. He's not sleeping this time. He sees it. He says it like four or five times in the beginning. He sees, he sees, and then numerous times it says, behold, behold. Whenever you see behold in Scripture, it's like a highlighter. You're supposed to behold what comes next. It's like God's highlighting it for you. And at least in verses 5, 13, and 19, he says, behold this. So see 
this. This is a vision that Daniel had. He was where he was at, and the next thing you know, he feels like, he seems like he is in Susa, which eventually became the capital of Persia. If you read the, if you read the book of Esther, that's where that take, took place. And, and the division of this chapter is verses 3 through 14 is the vision that Daniel gets, and verses 15 through 27 is the interpretation that he gets by Gabriel, the angel. But verse 27, start at the end. After Daniel had all these things happen to him, notice what it says. And it says, I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. He had this, he had this massive vision, and he's dazed by it. He's dazed with what took place. He was, he was walking around sick feeling in a sense of this, this, this fog and daze. To be dazed with the issues that come in your life, it's not wrong. We live in a real world where bad things and evil things take place, where struggles come and we get dazed. It's not wrong as a Christian to get dazed it's the direction you take them that matters. Where you go when your sense of days. Daniel had this, this vision from God. He gets sick by it. It's not wrong to struggle with the issues of life and be dazed and sometimes knocked down a bit. It's the direction you take them afterwards that matters. Let me just say this, all of you could study this passage this week and uh, probably come up with a better uh, title and sermon for it. If you do, I like to hear it. This is not the easiest of passages, but here's what I have for us this morning. We're going to look at the three horns of history and then four helps for us. Three horns of history and four helps for us. And I think Daniel, there's, there's a lot in here. We're just going to look at the historical highlights that I think will help us. So he says there's three horns of history. Daniel has this, this dream, this vision, and it starts out with, he, he sees himself in Susa at the canal, and at the canal there is standing this big, tough ram. And he sees this ram, and all of a sudden he sees the ram, and the ram starts, it's got two horns. One horn is taller than the other horn, and the second horn is taller than the first one. And he sees the horn, and the, horn, the ram starts charging westward, it charges northward, and it charges southward. And he gets the interpretation of who that is, in verse 20. But in those first four verses, he says, this is the, the kingdoms of the Medes and Persia. It is. That this is who it is. This is, this is the history that's taking place that God's given Daniel. As, as for the ram you, that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and the kings of Persia. And in those three or four verses, hundreds of years of coming history are told to Daniel. I mean, this is history for us, but for Daniel, this is future events that were taking place. And in a matter of seconds, he, he, there's like 150 years of history because what had happened was Babylon was destroyed. The, the Medes and the Persians took over. Persia was stronger than the Medes, as history will tell us. And, and they trampled over to the west, Babylon. They went to, the, to Syria uh, uh, and they got the Asia, Maya, um, Asia Minor to the north. They went up to Armenia and the Caspian Sea and they went south to Africa and they just took over the world in such a way that had never been seen up until that time. 
And that's the ram, and they, they, they were who they were. And then as the ram took off and was trampling over everything, it says in verse 5, And as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. This thing's flying. And, he, and he, the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. And it tells us in verse 21 who that was. It says, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. I mean, Daniel needed an angel, Gabriel, to help interpret that for him. For us, we, we can just look at Scripture and we can look at history, that this was talking about Alexander the Great. And Daniel's getting future events to- told him. This is who God is. I've, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, For I am God... And there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. God knew, predicted, saw the future. He saw the rise of the Median Persians. He, he saw Alexander the Great rising up, and he was fast. Nobody saw anybody as fast as Alexander take over the world. If you know history, he was taught by um, Aristotle as a teenager, and he saw the world. And by age 20, when his, when his father died and he took over, he, he succeeded his father. And by the age of 26, Alexander the Great had conquered the world as far as India. He was like this flying goat all over the place just taking off, destroying things, and nobody could stop him. And then at the age of 33, lived a wild life, captured the world, and then he's dead. Then they have this clash. That's who he's talking about. This is what's going to come. David, Daniel's seeing this. This is what history tells us. In verse 6 and 7, says, and he came to the ram, the goat did, and the, the, the two horns which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his horns, and the ram had no power to stand before him, but he was cast down to the ground. They have this huge class. Alexander the Great destroyed the Persian army at the Bronchius River. Alexander had a massive army. There was 23, and they came across 20,000 Persian army men were killed. And Alexander the Great only lost 100. He crushed him. He tramped him to the, de- the ground, just like God said. When you see this, when you see and read in Daniel chapter 8, this isn't just supposed to be information. It's supposed to be, he says, I see it, I behold it. We're supposed to feel it and still, in a sense, feel the fear that Daniel felt when he saw this, this giant ram and this giant goat clashing against each other and hearing their, their horns clashing and breaking together. Joyce Baldwin said this about this, the sight and sound of horns breaking off typifies the brittle nature of political might. One strong one rises up, another one strong one rises up, and they get crushed together. We see that. We saw that this week. The elephant and the donkey chasing after each other, busting heads constantly. This is the way the world has gone. And if we're not careful, we're going to get sucked up into that, where God had seen for history the rise and fall of rulers. He told us how it was even going to happen. 
And in the sight and sound of it, just is the brittle nature of political might. And Daniel prayed this in Daniel chapter 4, verses 20 and 22. He said, Blessed be the name of God forever. And let this sink into your bones as Christians. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understandings. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. It's God who sets up the donkey or the elephant. It's God who sets up the different political situations, and he can bring them all down in a moment. And the world is afraid of them. I was reading this week of of World War II and the Nazis and the Nuremberg trials, where they took 10 of the worst of the worst of the Nazis. And Hermann Goring, who had killed himself by suicide after he was found guilty, And the night that they killed them, they took all of them, they tried them, they found them guilty, they hung them, then they had them all cremated. They poured all their bodies into one pot, they sent it in the truck, and somewhere in the middle of the night, some guy got out and dropped their ashes into a little creek in Germany, and it floated away. All these horrific, powerful people, in a moment, just floating down a little pond, as ashes. God raises up and God takes down political leaders. It should be a comfort for us that the kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom. Friday I watched parts of Colin Powell's funeral and all these former presidents, all the political activists of our day, all the people of power sitting in the chapel and hearing, oh, how great thou art, sung, hearing scripture and scripture and how to come to faith through Jesus Christ alone. This is the answer for everybody, no matter how powerful they are. But God's the one who sets them up. So there was this, this ram with a horn, there was a goat with a horn, they clashed, but then there was this little, little horn. It says, after that, the horns broke up, and out, out of the little horn, then, then the goat became exceedingly great, but when, he, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven, and if you know what happened in history, Alexander, at 33 years old, di- dead, He divided up his kingdom to his four generals. Four little horns took over the world. And out of that one little horn, the one that nobody thought much about, was this little horn years later that came up from the east. And a guy named Antichius Antichius Epiphanes from Syria started to rule and to reign. And he gave himself the name Theos Antiochus Epiphanes. He made coins about this which is the illustrious god, Antichius. You look it up in history. He, 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 he then attacked 
Jerusalem. He ravaged the temple of God. He defiled Jerusalem. People, Jews were slaughtered, and one day 20,000 of them were slaughtered. He left for Egypt. They thought he died. They had a celebration. He came back, ticked off even more, rampaged Jerusalem even more. He sacrificed a pig on the holiest of holies in the temple of God. On the burnt offering, he raised up false priests. He set a statue up in the temple. And then he ended up dying of a disease. This is all the picture that Daniel's getting. This is who Daniel is seeing. And, and all of this is to show, not charts for us down the future. This is these charts. This is what was going to happen in, David, in Daniel's time. Daniel thought that they were gonna, the exile was going to be over, things were going to go great, and God gives him this vision and says, yeah, you guys have been in exile for a long time, but it's, it's not time for the end yet. There's a, there's a lot more to come. And let me show you what's going to come and, and how are you going to live in those long hall of history. Because here's what's going to come up, Daniel. This is the nature and the conflict of evil that the people of God are in. There's always going to be deception. There's always going to be blasphemy. And there's going to be persecution. This is the nature of evil. This is the nature of evil that has followed the people of God and will till the end. This is what last week churches in Myanmar were dealing with. When as they were heading to church, the military came in and shot and destroyed and blew up their churches. The first bomb landing in front of a Baptist church, hundreds of Christians' homes were burned just because they were serving Jesus Christ. This is the reality of history and how do we go through these long halls of where there's deception, blasphemy, and persecution, and this will just continue until... The ultimate one, the Antichrist of deception, blasphemy, of persecution will arise and God one day will wipe him out. But in the meantime, there's this time. What, what, this is the picture. This is the vision of these three horns that Daniel gets. What are we supposed to do with this? How is this going to help us this week? Verse 28 says this. After the angel came and gave Daniel his, his interpretation, verse 25 says, The vision of the evenings and the mornings that had been told is true. And the angel said, Gabriel said, But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. You, you know why Daniel was so bold when he stood before Belshazzar, when he had his big party? And he saw the handwriting on the wall, and they call him this 80-year-old Daniel. And he was walked in. And Daniel looked at it and said, you're, you're done. The handwriting's on the wall, your kingdom's over. You had a chance, you knew this, you didn't repent. He was absolutely bold. The reason he was so bold is because he knew this. He had gotten this in the third year of Belshazzar, and he kept it in his head. He didn't write books, he didn't talk about the end times, he didn't hold conferences, he didn't have hosts. He just kept it. This is what's going to take place. And when the, when the end came, and he saw what happened with Belshazzar, he already knew the handwriting on the wall, and he said, this is what's going to take place. And he carried it with him. He said, seal it up. So the people of his day needed to know this. And it's the same with us. We need to seal it up so as we go through our day, we can know some things. So here's what I think four things that can help us from this that we need to know as we seal it up and carry it with us through our days of difficulty and struggle. 
First, suffering, we need to know suffering is a season that has been limited by a good and sovereign God and true justice will be served. Whatever you're going through, whatever situation that we are dealing with, it is a suffering is a season. It will not last forever for the Christian. It's been limited by a good and sovereign God and, and true justice one day will be served. So when you feel like you're fighting it alone and no one's with you, you might be fighting it alone and you might have to fight it alone for a long time, but there's a time limit on it that God has placed and a good sovereign God is going to not let it go on forever. And, and their justice will be served for us. This is comfort for us on Thursdays when it's a tough, tough day at the office or that family conversation is overwhelming. There may be some struggle, but it's suffering has been limited by God, God had all the control in what was going to take place for the next couple hundred years, thousand years for the people of Israel. Number two, security is found in trusting in the one true sovereign God. So where's God in all of this, in this Daniel's interpretation? Daniel's getting all these interpretations, and it says in verse 16, it says, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man, let's understand the vision. And God was guiding the whole process all along, and, he, and he's guiding it along with you. Your security is found in trusting in the one true and sovereign God. In verse 25, it says about Antiochus, by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but not by human hand. It's God that's going to ultimately give justice. He's the one that's going to give us our true security. Suffering's for a season. Our security is to be found in trusting the one true God who sets kings up and takes them down and knows where we are along the line of all of it. And three, suffer, settle in. Settle in to the suffering scene and serve others. I mean, Daniel got this vision and he could have run. He, he, he could have been like, I don't, want, I don't like this. This is, this is not what I want. I want to get out of Jerusalem. I want to get exiled out of Babylon. I don't have to deal with these problems. You're telling me that problems, I'm, we're going to just have to suffer for a lot longer? That, that's what you're telling me? And, and, God, and he said yes. So we are called then to settle into the suffering scene. And serve others. Settling into the suffering scene is hard. We, 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 don't, we, we don't like that. We, we, we kind of like to hear the breaking bad news. I mean, come on, we like, we like to, oh, really? That happened? That's terrible. And then we want to hear the fantastic end. How did it wrap up? Oh, they're out of the hospital? Great. Oh, they're doing good? That, oh, they, 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 they met that financial need? Wonderful. That's good. And then move on with our lives. That's what we want to hear. Tell us something bad about somebody else that's worse than me so I can kind of feel bad in a little bit of prayer, but then tell me when it's over so I can celebrate and praise God. But just don't ask me to step in the middle of it and, and slog through it with them. That's not what Daniel was called to do. Daniel was said, Here, here's what's going to happen. Now settle into the suffering scene and slog through it with people, even when you get bogged down, because that's difficult. That's hard. But that's being Christian. You can have all the knowledge in the world about the Bible. 
You, you can know every verse and every interpretation. And if there's someone in trouble and you're not willing to give up your time for a moment to go help and serve them, I would question the reality of your faith. A, a, a head knowledge isn't going to help us. What we're called to do is settle in and suffer with people. When, when I was in growing up, churches used to have missions conferences, and every missionary would come in with their slides and their videos, and uh, they would all play the same song. It was popular. It was a good song, but they would, they would play it every mission presentation that I saw. It was Steve Green's song, People Need the Lord. Remember that? Every day they passed me by, I can see it in their eyes, empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears people need the Lord. When will we realize that people need the Lord? We must give our lives because people need the Lord. What we're called to do as Christians is to settle in, trust a sovereign God, and then slog through pain with people. Go through the brokenness, sit with them in the hospital, show up, try to care, endure the stories, and just go through and slog with that suffering. And as we do it, we're called to set our eyes on Jesus, who settled into our world who took on our suffering and sin, that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we can find hope and help. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what people need. This is what Jesus did. He settled into our world. All the struggle that you're dealing with, all that hurt, all the sin of this past week, the coming weeks, Jesus came in. He knew it. He settled down. He took on human flesh. He endured it. He went to the cross. He died and he rose again so that we can have true hope and true help. It's the cross. And what happened at the cross that rescues us. Sinclair Ferguson said this, Beware of anything which purports to be Christianity that doesn't emphasize the necessity of Christ's sacrifice for our forgiveness or teaches a style of discipleship that avoids the daily bearing of the cross. Jesus came and bared our sin on his body for us so that we could have hope and so that we can, in turn, bear and care for others. Daniel was dazed when he heard all this. He was sick because of it. And he drew him in chapter 9 to prayer and repentance. And then what did he do with it? And I, Daniel, was overcome, and I lay sick for some days. Then I rose up and went about the king's business. That's what he wants you to do this week. He wants you to hear this. He wants you to consider it. And then he wants you to rise up and go about the king's business. Serve God. Love others. And serve the world. That's what Jesus did for us. Let's pray.